If you have your Bible on you, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> Before we jump into the word, I want to pray with you, so join me. Father, thank you that you have made a way for us to know you and understand you. You've given us your word. It is true, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it's perfect. Help us handle it with care, to teach it with truth, and that I pray that you would use it to make us like you. Your word says that when your word goes out, it will accomplish that which you send it to do. It's not going to come back to you empty or void. So we trust you, and your word tells us that if we trust you and obey you, you will act. So Spirit, act. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the end, at the end of a series called A Healthy Church. Now, if you are aware of the series, if you like look at the weekly refresh and you see there are still two more Sundays after this Sunday uh, in this Healthy Church series. But I've made a decision. We're going to end the Healthy Church series today. Because I look at you guys and I think, we're perfect. No more need for a healthy church. No, just kidding. Um, the reality is, uh, the last two sermons that I wanted to preach on what a healthy church is, I just felt like God was leading me not to go there. And I'd explain more, but I'll spare you the details. Other than just to say that this will be the last sermon in a healthy church series. And then for the next three weeks, we'll have some various sermons. And then September... 12th, I think it's the first Sunday after Labor Day, uh, we will begin a new series, a new book, the book of Colossians. We will walk through Colossians exegetically, expositionally, verse by verse, word by word, and uh, personally, that's one of my favorite books. It's filled with sound doctrine. The first half and the second half is filled with just practical living from that doctrine. So, September 12th, we'll begin a new book, Colossians. And for the next three weeks after this week, we have some various sermons for you. Um, but today, as the last sermon in the Healthy Church series, is this reality that a healthy church trusts church leadership. Now, that's a pretty vague statement if you ask me. First of all, I'm aware of how difficult it is for me to stand here and tell you that the Bible tells you to trust me. <laughs> and it's just really, there's a lot of questions that go with that. If I make a blanket statement that a healthy church trusts its church leadership, my first question would be, what if they're not uh, good leaders? What if they're not godly men? What if they're not good elders? What if they're sinning? What if they make wrong decisions? Do I still just have to trust them? So we're going to address those kinds of questions. But my desire is for you to see and to understand a few things. Number one, the men that God calls to be elders in the church, church leaders, are no different than you. They aren't more special than you. They aren't better people than you. They're just called. That's it. I mean, think about the gospel itself. Are you any better than an unbeliever? Not at all. Prior to being saved, an unbeliever is 100% depraved. There's no good in them. Romans 3.10, there is no one does good. No, not one. Not, no one seeks after God. No one desires God. Everybody is against God. There is no love for God, no desire for God, no pursuit of God. Everyone is totally and completely 100% depraved in their sinful nature. And so are you. You're not better. I'm not better than an unbeliever. What's the difference? Grace. The difference is God called you to his grace. 
That's the only difference. You're not smarter than them and you figured out the gospel. You're not more faithful than them so you figured out the gospel. You're not more religious or more spiritual than them so you figured out the gospel and then believed. It was simply you were against God 100% rejecting him and his gospel until he called you. So you take that principle, that concept, and you apply it to church leadership and you say, me as a Christian in this church and you as a Christian in this church, I'm not better than you, you're not better than me. We're both in Christ. We might be at different levels of sanctification. You might be more holy in this area and I might be more holy in this area and whatever, but the reality is we're either completely depraved without Christ or perfectly righteous in Christ. So elders aren't just like these guys who are like, you know, super Christians, therefore we make them elders. They're just called. So you've got to understand that as I explain how important it is for you to trust and to submit to and to obey your elders in the church, your church leaders, I am not telling you because we're better. I'm saying it is because of what God's word tells us. So I'm not asking you to even trust me this morning. I'm asking you to trust God's word. So to teach you that you ought to submit to your elders. So like, first of all, let's just clarify something. My whole life I grew up, you know, obey your elders, listen to your elders. And to me, those were anyone who's older than me. And we still use that phrase, and it's a reference to, you know, children. It's, you're telling a child to be respectful to someone who's older than them, right? Be respectful to an adult. It's a phrase we use. When I use the word elders today, I'm talking about God's shepherds, pastors, elders, the position of eldership in the church. I'm not talking about just someone who's older than you, okay? So to teach you that you must submit to your elders and obey your elders, I think we have to answer three questions. Number one, what is a good shepherd? Number two, can you trust a good shepherd? And number three, what if that shepherd is wrong? So before answering those three questions, let's just get some terms straight. I just told you what an elder is, right? There's multiple words in the Bible that describe what this elder, this position of eldership. Um, they are uh, elder. The Bible also calls them overseer. Sometimes they're called a bishop. Sometimes they're called shepherd. And sometimes they're called pastor. Same office. Okay? It's an office. It's a role. And it is the role the highest role of authority in the church other than Jesus, who is the senior shepherd, the senior pastor, the head overseer of the entire church. And he calls men to be under shepherds, shepherds under him to shepherd his flock. It'd be much like being a general manager of a, of a store and you cover an entire area and you select, hand select managers for each store location. Jesus is the GM, and his pastors and elders and shepherds are his store managers and assistant managers or whatever, and they help keep things organized on the ground, but they follow the lead of the GM, of the general manager. And that's what I do as a shepherd. That's what Brian does as a shepherd. That's what Christian does as a shepherd. We follow the head shepherd. We follow Christ, and we lead you by his words. And so... The only words I'm going to use today to describe this is probably like pastor, shepherd, or elder. Same office, same words. So I'm going to use those words interchangeably. This position of elder has some qualifications. Anyone can't just be an elder. That's just a reality. There are, I'm not going to go through the qualifications, but in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9, there is a description of the specific and I think high standard for eldership. It is a high calling, and the qualifications are tight. And that is because God cares so much for his sheep, so much for his sheep that he only allows men that he has called who are fit a certain list of qualifications to lead his people and to lead his church. So 
Let's answer these three questions. I think ultimately there's just kind of this balancing dilemma, all right? We've got the straightforward and blunt command in the Bible to obey and submit to your leaders. And then over here we've got Peter telling us what a good leader is like. And I think those two concepts can't exist without each other. So let's look at them. So the first question is, what is a good shepherd? What is a good elder, a good pastor, a good church leader? In 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, Peter writes to the elders, specifically, this is specifically to and for the elders, and he says this, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That's the primary command there, shepherd the flock. So now comes an explanation of what that shepherding looks like. So what is that shepherding? It is exercising oversight. That's why they're called overseers in Scripture. So the priority of the shepherd is to oversee the congregation, the church, the local pen of sheep. And then he gives some clarity as to what that oversight actually looks like. If a, a shepherd is a good shepherd, this is what his oversight will look like. It will be not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So this text specifically applies to church elders, but this is not only vital to like me and Brian, Christian, and anyone who serves like an elder in the church, or a church leader in the church, or a pastor, or a shepherd, but this also is very vital to you. You have to know what is expected of us. You're the ones who vote. And our church constitution, our bylaws, explain that if we're going to bring an elder on board to be an elder at the church, the congregation has to vote on that man for eldership. So the elders believe that this man will be, is called to, an, to be an elder. That man believes he's called to be an elder. And the elders and that man agree. And we broadcast that to the church. And you cast a vote in agreement for that elder to serve you and to lead you. So number one, it's very important that you understand what you're voting on and the qualifications of the man of that man who becomes an elder because you're the one who has to say yes or no. So you can't just be like, oh, I just trust the elders just to kind of take care of it. And the funny thing is, this whole message is about you have to trust us elders and I'm also telling you, you know what, don't trust us blindly. I, I know you guys love to think for yourself. You have to know what an elder is what is expected of an elder and what they need to be like, what kind of man they have to be. You need to know the qualifications of elders so that you can look at a man that we bring into eldership here and say, is this a godly man who is equipped and called to lead me? Because if I vote yes, I am choosing and declaring to submit my life to this man. Do you think about that ever? That God has called you to submit your life to me? I don't even like saying it. It feels so, first of all, it feels overwhelming. I have enough things to do than to worry about your life. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is my life. My whole life is caring for yours. Like this isn't a job. John Piper wrote a book called Brothers, We Are Not Professionals. This is not my career. This is not my job. I am not employed. I am not an employee. I am called by God to serve you. And that service is leadership. So the way in which God's shepherds lead is by serving. Not domineering, like Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being an example to the flock. Not standing at the pulpit going, I'm in charge. I decide what we do. We need to do this, church, and you need to get on board or get out. That's domineering. Is that a godly example of Christ? No. So how does a good shepherd shepherd you? Number one, willingly. 
If you look at the qualifications for eldership in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, he says, I'm going to read it so I don't get it wrong. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires, desires a noble task. So he aspires to the office and he desires the noble task. That's the first thing about being an elder. You have to want it. If you come into eldership, if you're like, I, I guess I could be an elder. I don't know if I really want to be. You're not called. You have to want to. The other thing is that it has to be, the elder has to desire to serve God's people eagerly. So it's not just, I want to do it, but now that I know I want to do it, I'm going to do it. I have an eagerness, and an eagerness is, is your inability to contain your desires. And if those desires are holy and good, then that eagerness is good. And an elder should have an eagerness to serve you, to call you, to visit you, to see you, to ask how you're doing, to check in on you, to teach you, to correct you, to call out your sin, to put you in check, to encourage you, to reprove you, and even to rebuke you in gentleness and in love and in kindness like Christ. We are, as elders, Christ to you. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus on earth for his church. Now, biblically speaking, all of us are the priesthood of Christ. All of us are the physical representations of Jesus to the world. But then more specifically, the physical headship of Christ to the church is expressed in his elders. Listen, as a, I've been a pastor for I don't know, 15 years. To carry the weight and the burden. I, listen, I, I almost don't want to say this because... The last thing I want for you is to have any sort of pity or even maybe compassion for me or for Brian or for Christian or any elders that ever serve here or any pastors. So I'm not saying this so you'd be like, oh, Mark, are you okay? Like, life's tough for you. You know, none of that stuff. Listen, it is an incredible burden. And I mean burden in a positive sense. I mean burden as in the sense of a weight. It's incredible weight on my shoulders and on my soul and on my heart and on my mind is incredible burden to love you. And that's a good burden. It's a burden that I personally, I'm not even speaking biblically here, I'm speaking personally for me, for Mark Barlow, I don't know if I could live without that burden. I don't know what I would do in my life if I could not shepherd you. I do like computers. I could maybe do something in computers. <laughs> but I'm not that smart. <laughs> to carry, and I'll explain this in a little bit. You'll see this reality come to life here when we get to Hebrews 13. To carry your soul on my shoulders is heavy. Fathers, husbands, you know the feeling. You carry the responsibility through your role as leader in your home. You carry the responsibility of your family. Your wife's sanctification is in your hands. Husbands, you are responsible for the sanctification of your wife. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through like 20, like 5 or 6, says, wash your wife with the, sanctify your wife in the word. That's what it says, summary version. Okay, sanctify your wife with the washing of the word. That's what he says. Your wife's sanctification is on your shoulders. That's your responsibility. That's your held, you're held accountable to God. For your wife's spiritual well-being. And 
for your children's. And wives, you are held responsible not only for your own spiritual well-being, but for your children's as well. This is a reality in the world. Managers, business owners, you carry the weight and responsibility of your entire business. You carry the weight and responsibility of your employees. And it's a burden, isn't it? It's weighty, isn't it? Why? Because when they need you, who do they ask? You. When decisions have to be made, who makes them? You. When things are tough, who has to have the tough conversation? You. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? Here's the thing about being a pastor. The head that wears the crown feels no weight. Because Christ says, my burden is light. My head is not weak. My shoulders and my neck are strong and they can carry the crown. And I am the power by which these elders serve. So yes, in a physical sense, an emotional, mental, spiritual sense, for me as an elder, it is a heavy weight to serve you because this entire congregation, those who are here this morning and those who are not, I am held accountable and responsible for your sanctification. Just like a husband to wife. You're basically, all of you are like my wives. I just have a ton of wives. You guys, we're all married, right? And I, it's, it's like, it's, I know that sounds like I'm almost asking you for some pity, but I'm not. I couldn't live life without this. And so... You understand that burden? I think burden's a negative word. You understand that weight, that calling? You get it, because some of you are managers. Some of you are husbands. Okay? All of you have the burden of someone else's life in your hands or on your shoulders. So you understand it. And it makes sense to you in your head, but you can't feel it. You can't experience it unless you've become an elder. And I will tell you this, what I see in scripture is Jesus Christ doing the hardest things imaginable. And the harder it is for Christ, the more glory there is. Jesus sat in the garden and he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. That's the easy way out. And the easy way out, no glory. But what does Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. That's the hard way. And he goes to the cross, and he dies your death, and he rises from the grave. That's the hard way. And what does the hard way get, Christ? Glory. All of it. All the glory. The hardest thing to do, spiritually and biblically speaking, is always more glorious. So I will take the burden. I will take the weight. I will try my hardest to serve you. So will Brian so will Christian. I know these men well enough that I can say that for them right here. We'll give you everything we got. And I will say, I can speak for, Christian's only been here for like two months, but like I can speak for Brian and say that his time here, he has given you everything he has. Amen. And so have the elders who went before him and before me. Sacrificing much. Now, I'm not trying to convince you, like, hey, just so you know, you got some pretty awesome elders. <laughs> like, this is not a boast. I just want you to understand that the weight and burden of eldership is heavy, and there's a reason that you have to understand that. And the reason is in Hebrews 13, 17. So there's this next question. Second question is, can you trust a good shepherd? Can you trust a good shepherd? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. So the, the command there is abundantly clear. Obey your leaders and submit to them. And in addition to that, there's not a single qualifying statement here. As long as that man has met the qualifications for eldership, he is, fits into this group called your leaders. So he's already qualified to be a leader. So there's no other qualifying statements that go with it. It doesn't say, obey and submit to your leaders if, if they've done, if they've been good, or obey your leaders and submit to them 
unless they're wrong or unless they're imperfect. It just says obey and submit to your leaders. And they're your leaders because they, Paul assumes, or I'm sorry, the author of Hebrews assumes that they've already met the leadership qualifications. So, if I was a domineering elder, which Peter says not to be, I could stand here and I could take this verse and say, obey and submit, do as I say, this is what we're doing, get on board or get out. If you're a godly person, you'll follow us and listen and do what we say. Or I could manipulate you and try to convince, like, you know, go around everyone's back and try to convince certain things to happen and, and try to finagle my way around to get my way. That's domineering, not willingness. And that kind of leadership isn't leadership at all. It doesn't work in parenting. It doesn't work in management at a job. And it doesn't work in the church. And it doesn't work because Peter told us instead of demanding submission, what are elders supposed to be in 1 Peter 5, verse 3? He says, not, being domineering, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Being examples. That is how we are to lead. So, meaning this, that a good shepherd doesn't have to force the congregation to obey them and submit to them. Why? Because a good shepherd is already setting a good example because a good shepherd submits to and obeys God. And they obey Ephesians 5.1. Imitate me as I, or 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or Ephesians 5, 1, be imitators of God. That's the elder's responsibility to submit to God, submit to his word, and obey it. And I don't just mean obey it like, oh, I have to live a perfect and holy life. I have to live an obedient life to God's word. Yes, that is certainly calling for every Christian, regardless of their role in the church, but especially for elders because the restrictions are much tighter. But in addition to that, it's not just this idea of, of you know, an elder needs to obey God's word, but the Bible also gives instructions for how church leadership is to deal with sin. So now, church leadership also has to deal with sin appropriately, which means we as elders have to obey God's word when it tells us to deal with people's sin. That's hard to do because I like people. And I don't like upsetting people. And I don't like telling people hard things. I'm not a confrontational dude. I'm just not. I don't like confrontation, but it has to happen sometimes. It's my call. It's my role. It's Brian's. It's Christian's. We have to do that. And it's hard to do. But we are not going to be setting a good example to you to obey and submit to us if we are not obeying and submitting to Christ or to God or to his word or to his spirit. So can you trust a good shepherd? Yes, because a good shepherd also obeys and submits. And you know what they look like. You know what a good shepherd looks like. And you know what a good shepherd doesn't look like. Heretics and false teachers preaching false gospels, not using the word of God in their teaching. That's not a good shepherd. Because God's word says, preach the word. So if he's not preaching the word, he's not a good shepherd. You know what a good shepherd looks like. You can see it, you can sense it, you know the word, you can tell. And if they're good, it shouldn't be hard to follow them because following them should be easy because they don't put the burden on you. That's what Jesus said to us. My burden is light. Come to my yoke. I am going to carry your burden for you. You can rest in my lead as I carry the weight of your burden and you simply just follow behind without the burden as I drag it for you. That's my role. That's Brian's role. That's Christian's role. To take your burdens. That's, that's Galatians 6. It says the same thing. Brothers, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's love. For us to come beside you, pick up your burden, carry it for you like a big, you know, cross, you know? Carry our cross. Carry your cross, too, so that you can follow lightly. And in doing so, we're showing you what Christ is like. And then as you're walking light-footed and worry-free and non-burdened and your elders and shepherds carry your burdens for you, 
and your hands are free, you can use your hands to worship God and to serve him and his people and to look over at someone else and say, oh, brother, sister, I see you have a burden you haven't given to the Father or given to the Son or given to our elders or our pastor. Let me help you. And you can help others carry their burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So you can submit. It's not hard to submit to and obey God's leaders if they're good shepherds. But even if a shepherd has the best of intentions and he desires to be a good shepherd and he obeys and submits to God and therefore I can trust him, what if he's wrong? What if he's wrong about something? Well, if he's wrong, then I don't have to. I mean, I've heard this argument before, you know, Acts 5. Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. So I'm not going to obey this man who's a church leader of mine if he's wrong. So what about that? Let's answer that question. What if my shepherd is wrong? Okay, let me just start here. (laughs) It's going to happen. It's already happened. We will be wrong. Now there's a difference between being wrong and being a heretic. Right? There's a difference between being wrong and being an evil manipulator. I'm not talking about shepherds who are wrong in the sense that they're just evil, bad people who are lying and scheming and embezzling money from the church and teaching false, you know, heretical lies to the church and false doctrines. And you know, that, that's a whole other level of obviously don't submit yourself to that guy. I'm talking about good, godly men who are imperfect and make mistakes. That's me. Right? Like, did anyone get an email from me this week? Should have. What did the email say? Oops, I made a mistake. (laughs) Right? I told you guys that Saturday Sisters was this weekend. It's actually next weekend. And then Myrna was like, hey, Mark, uh, could you make sure that they know that it's actually next Saturday? I was like, don't. Right? So that happens. I'm wrong. Have I ever been wrong at the pulpit? Yeah. I've said things that were wrong. I've been wrong. Are we going to make the right decision every time? Are me and Brian going to be 100, bet 100 or 1,000, 100%, whatever, um, in all of our decisions? No. Are we going to make decisions that have negative consequences on our lives? Yeah. Are we going to make decisions that maybe weren't the right decision and have negative consequences on your life? Yeah. Well, if they're going to have negative consequences on my life, then I shouldn't submit to that decision so I don't have to bear the burden of the negative consequence. Here's the problem with that kind of thinking. This is the beauty of God's leadership in the church. If we as elders make a decision that turns out to be wrong, now if we make a decision, it's going to be a decision that we believe is right. But if it turns out that that was not the best decision to make, or maybe it was the right decision, we maybe did it the wrong way, or some element of our decision-making process isn't right or isn't perfect, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to submit to this decision because it's going to influence me negatively. Here's the beauty of leadership. God protects you with the elder. The elder is an umbrella over you. The elders, the shepherds, the leaders in your church are an umbrella over you. When we make a decision that clearly impacts you in your life, and that decision rains down consequences, the rain hits the umbrella, not you. The rain hits the elders. We are held accountable for those decisions, not you. What is the beauty of that reality? You can then joyfully and easily submit to and obey your leaders because if their decision that they lead you into is troublesome for you, they're held accountable for it, not you. That is the elder's protection over you. Therefore, we can say, congregation, Don't worry, we're doing this. You can trust us because even if we make a mistake, we take the bullet, not you. That's our role, not just to lead you, but to protect you, to serve you, 
to die for you. Whether that's a physical, actual death, or a positional death, or some sort of spiritual, metaphorical death. Either way, the elders make the decisions. You follow and submit and obey to those decisions, and we go together. And when it doesn't work out, and there's a trap, we're the first to fall in. So that alleviates any burden from you to submit and obey. Now listen, this also does not mean that I'm saying, everybody, stop asking questions, shut your mouths, don't ever challenge anything we have to say, do exactly as we say, and follow us. Follow blindly and without thinking. I told you, just follow. If anything bad happens, it's on us. Don't worry. I'm not saying that at all. Of course you should talk to us. Of course we want to interact with you. Of course I want to know what you think about our direction going here, our direction going there. Or if you have doctrinal questions, why do you guys teach this here? Because, and we can have those conversations, you have an influence in the way that we go. We are a congregation together. We decide things together. The elders don't, don't lead like dictators. We lead like fathers and like mothers. If you look at 1 Thessalonians, this is such a beautiful text. Oh, it's one of my favorite. As a pastor, I just love this text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. It's not on the overhead, so. Paul says, but we were, like, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That's how we should lead you. And then a few verses down, verse 11 for you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted you, each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a, worthy, a manner worthy of God. That's the elder's role. It's that dual duality of being like a father to you and being like a mother to you. We come alongside you, we serve you, we love you, we tend to your needs, gentle and compassionate, but like a father, strong and courageous and, and demanding to some extent, but charging you to righteousness and expelling sin from your life and, and enacting discipline in your life. Like a father and like a mother to their children. We hear you, we listen, we decide together, we're united as one. We have authority, but to wield that authority like any sinful man could easily do is of no benefit to you. And when we get to the end of Hebrews 13, not the end, but the end of this verse, Hebrews 13, 17, it says at the beginning, I'll read the whole verse, obey your leaders and submit to them. For, and this is why. For they are keeping watch over your soul. So that is that expression of that idea I was telling you about, that weight that an elder feels, that burden to love you and to serve you and to carry your burdens and your life and to come alongside you. And all that weight that we feel, it's, it's because we are keeping watch over your souls. Now I could like turn my back on you and close my eyes and pretend like you're not, your life is fine I just, and, then, and then I don't feel the burden. To alleviate myself, but that doesn't serve you. That's not me serving God. That's not me loving you. That's not, Brian can't do that, and I can't do that. We have to get involved in your lives and serve you. And this is why we need more elders. So, because there's too many of us for two men to carry that weight. So, the elders have men in mind that we believe. We're not sure yet. I just don't have clarity from God on who God is calling to be an elder next. So, congregation, pray. Pray that God would make it clear to your current elders whom he is calling to serve as a leader in this church. And do not think that God is calling men who are just vocal and present and loud and strong personalities, God could call any personality into the leadership. It's not about personality because it's not your own distinct personality that leads the church. It's the personality of Christ that leads through that man. 
So, be praying about that as we're, we are praying about it regularly and discussing these, like, who is God bringing or calling to be another elder in this church? With this burden of keeping watch over your souls, I, I, and I hate the word burden because it sounds like a negative word, but I mean it in a positive sense because it is my joy, and it should be an elder's joy to, to carry the weight of your soul on their shoulders. But with this burden to watch over your souls, he goes on to say that they are those who will give an account. We have to give an account for your life. We have to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to go, all right, Mark, how's Eric doing? How's Amy doing? How's Aaliyah doing? How's Bob doing? How's Nikki doing? How's Lon doing? How's Christian doing? <laughs> I'm accountable to that. Now, that doesn't alleviate you from your own accountability, right? You know that. Almost shouldn't have to say it, but I think it should be clear. You're still held accountable to your own life and to your families. But this is what the author goes on to say because of that a reality of accountability. At the end of verse 17, he says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What does that mean? It means don't make it any harder on your elders than it already is. Why? Why, why do you care? What would it benefit you to not make it any harder on your elders than it already is? Because you don't benefit when you do that. And so ultimately what he's implying is stop piling up your sins onto your elders so that they're so busy dealing with your dysfunction that the church never goes anywhere. Now, you're not perfect. We're not perfect. You're going to... Tr- I think what he's really getting at is there's a lot of unnecessary chatter and discussion and ideas and concepts and things that go on that just don't need to happen in the church. And we could eliminate that and it would free up elders to be more involved in life. And this is, honestly, this is why we need more deacons too. More than anything, we need more men to be deacons. Because I'll just be a little honest with you about kind of how our elder meetings go. We sit down in our elder meetings and we spend about an hour discussing finances, which of course we're responsible for. And then after discussing finances, we have to discuss a lot of logistical business. What are we going to do with the parking lot? What's going on with the bathrooms? Do we have enough things for communion? Do we have uh, this set up? And do we have that set up? And this, and it's just all logistics, logistics, logistics. And I look at the Bible and it just never tells the elders to do any of that. You know what the elders are told to do? In Acts chapter 7, a bunch of people come to Peter and they're like, Peter, the, the widows and these people don't have food or drink. They're, they're just, and, and Peter goes, why are you bothering us with this? Get some men who are called and equipped to serve these people like a deacon and have them take care of those logistics. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be in the word and praying. That's from Acts chapter 7. Us elders should be spending most of our time in the word, growing individually in the word, growing as a church through your leaders growing in the word, and talking to each other about you, praying for each of you, spending our time discussing you, figuring out how we're going to serve you, and then going to you, meeting you at home and in your workplace and having lunch with you and dinner and spending time with you as families and being invested in your life and challenging you and calling you out and, and calling out your sin in love and in gentleness, but also encouraging you towards righteousness and holiness and spending all of our energy on you. I want my elder meetings to be a time where we sit down, we open the word, we read the word, we study the word, and then the only thing that happens after that is we start talking about you and the vision of this church and the mission of this church and the direction of this church. That's our calling. You, you are our calling. And if we don't have deacons to take care of certain logistics, which would be their role, then the elders have to carry that weight. 
So I am calling men to stand up, and women for deaconship, men and women for deaconship, to pray. Now keep in mind there are qualifications for deaconship, and there are qualifications in the Bible for eldership. And not everyone in this room meets those qualifications. So before you start going, ooh, that's me, hold on. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so just, I want you to be praying that God would send us deacons and elders. And that they would be the right men for the roles. It's no advantage to you if you sin. And the more you continue to live out sinful behavior, and I know it's hard not to, right? But the more you indulge in sin, the more the elders have to tend to that. And the less time we have for the rest of the congregation, and the less time we have for leading the congregation, the less time we have for serving everybody. My desire is, in this whole sermon, is to get you to understand that you have to trust me. And that is really hard for me to stand here and say, because I know me way better than any of you. You don't know me. You just don't. You don't know me. Deep down, you don't know what's going on up here. And you don't know what's going on in here. You don't know my battles. You don't know my struggles. You just don't know. And if you did, I'm afraid you might hate me. <laughs> or think, ugh, he's kind of messed up. So me, knowing what I know of what's going on up here and here, to stand here and tell you, trust me, is a terrifying reality. Because I know I am one thin string away from snapping and just falling apart. <laughs> like, I don't mean that in a mental sense. I'm stable. Don't worry. I'm okay. Um, I just mean like, <laughs> okay, nobody sinned this week. I can't take it. No. Um, I, I, what I really mean is, is just that, like, I know how fragile I am. That you probably think I am holier than I really know that I am. Honestly. I think any man who's honest with himself should have the same conclusion. Any person. So, to stand here and tell you, trust me, trust me, trust me as an elder and your leader. That's a terrifying and difficult thing because I'm like, should you? I know what I know about me. Should you? And I think it doesn't matter. It's not me you're following. It's Christ. I know I'm not perfect, but what I do know is that this book, I told you this three weeks ago when I preached last in July, last weekend in July, I said this book is the senior pastor in this church. This book is the leader of the church. This book is the word of Christ, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God used to speak to us through the fathers, now he speaks to us through his son, John 1, 1 and 14. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh. The word, this book, the Bible, is Christ. It is the literary expression of Jesus himself. This leads our church, not me. And what I do know about myself, as messed up as I am, as sinful as I am, as unholy as I am, I know in my mind and in my heart, one thing I know is sure, one conviction I have that is true, and one thing that will never change is that I believe this book, I will teach this book, I will lead through this book, and so it's not me that you're trusting, it's Jesus. And the more of me that you see, the worse it is. John said, I must decrease. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And I read this this week. Such a great profound truth. John literally disappears from the gospel after that statement. I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And the rest of the book, John isn't even mentioned and Jesus is the whole point for the rest of the book. So for John, mission accomplished. 
I must decrease, Christian must decrease, Brian must decrease so that Christ would increase so that when we lead you, you don't go, man, we have the best elders ever. Brian is such a good, godly shepherd and leader. Mark is such an awesome pastor. Christian is so great. I'm glad he's here. Oh, I love his preaching. Oh, I love his teaching. Oh, I love that he does this and that. That you go, Jesus is so actively alive and leading in our congregation. I can feel his presence. When Brian comes to sit with me and talk to me, I feel like Jesus himself is wrapping his arms around me, I pray every Sunday morning, and I mean this literally every single Sunday morning, before I preach, as I sit in my office, I have several prayers that I'm always praying. One of them is that the Holy Spirit would fill me as I preach. Number two is that he would give me prophetic words to say that they're not mine but his. And number three, that when I walk out that door, 40 minutes before I ever stand at this pulpit to preach, that I would be like Jesus to you. At the door, in the sanctuary, at the meet and greet, after church, at the pulpit. That I could be, would be, maybe somehow just a glimpse of the great shepherd that he is. And that you would be like, I, all I want, for all I ever want to hear about me, from anyone, is just, I want people to, to, to be able to say, not to me, but to themselves, that when Mark's around me, I feel like I'm with Christ. And to say that is an insane thing. Because I am nothing like Christ. And at the same time, because of Christ, I'm exactly like Christ. And the fullness of who Jesus is, is fully at my disposal to be like him for you. To shepherd you and to love you that way. I, I want to be that. So when I tell you to trust me, when I tell you to trust Brian, to trust the elders, to trust the leaders, to trust Christian, when I tell you to trust us, I'm not asking you to trust us men. Men will fail you. I'm asking you to trust God's word. Trust God's word. Because his word tells you, no qualifiers. Submit and obey. If you don't, you're being disobedient. That is not me being a human saying, follow and listen or you're disobeying. That's me saying, obey Jesus. And he tells you, obey and submit to your leaders. Why? Because it doesn't matter even if they are good or bad. I, Romans 13.1, I put them there. I gave them that authority. So when you submit to us, you're not submitting to us, you're submitting to Christ. And a church that submits to its leaders whom are submitting to Christ is a healthy church that is united under one leadership, united in Christ, and can do amazing things. And the result will be fruit that you have never seen in your life. Let's pray. Lord, we trust you and we thank you. We know that this might be a hard thing to trust men. And Remind us and show us that we're trusting you. And, and make us elders trustworthy by being obedient to you. I, I want to see, Father, and I know you want this too because your word's clear about it, a family together in this congregation, a family that is united together. One vision, one purpose, one desire to know you and to enjoy you forever. Give us that. And then produce the blessing and fruit from that obedience and that submission that overflows not just into each other's lives but into this community so that lost people would come to know Jesus and we would spend the rest of our lives celebrating how great and amazing you and your gospel is. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.